0: The Social Screenwriters Podcast, The Social Screenwriters Podcast, The Social Screenwriters Podcast, where Andy talks to people he met on the internet.
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 25 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I am your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show we have a very special guest. His name is Josh Guffey. So Josh is actually a friend of mine here in St. Louis. He's a filmmaker and screenwriter who recently made a feature film, which is pretty awesome. He wrote and directed it. It's called All Gone Wrong. It stars Tony Todd. Who, if you're not familiar with that name, you might know him from the film Candyman from the early 90s, a legendary horror film. Um, he was the Candyman, um, and he's an awesome character actor. It stars Tony Todd and Jake Kaufman, who gives a great lead performance in this film. Jake Kaufman does it came out in 2022 but this year it's actually or i guess you know the year just started 2023 but um it's getting a wide release on streaming for the first time and it comes out today january 27th you can watch it on amazon apple tv plus itunes voodoo google play cable on demand basically anywhere that you can rent a movie you can check this out and it's awesome it is a crime thriller it's riveting it's it's fucking badass i got to see this at the 2022 st louis filmmaker showcase and i loved it and since then me and josh have become friendly and he was nice enough to come on here and uh yeah so he shares a lot about not only his personal you know uh life about screenwriting and filmmaking but a lot of specifics about the process of making an indie film and getting it off the ground uh the film was acquired by buffalo eight for distribution and I'm going to go ahead and play a trailer from the film right now. Drop that gun right now. You set, drop, me,
0: drop, me, drop, up. Up. set me, me up.
1: Cool. Let's start with when you arrived on the scene. I posted up within inside of the house. Backup unit was another block out. Okay, fellas, there's our hero. I was there when Mikey pulled up went inside.
0: And then his wire went down. That suspect exiting the house? Drove off in Mikey's UC car. Unit two, we're taking the house. How am I doing so far?
1: (laughs) You just stick to what you know, and I'll get you cleared. You never should have been in that spot. Never should have gone in that house. Who told you? Come here. I want to know what a man like you is doing in Kiwani. I can always tell how smart somebody is but how dumb they think I am. You're dealing with some really smart, really scary people. I hope you know what you're doing. What,
0: the, what kind of investigation is this? You haven't asked me anything of substance. No, 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 no. you go. I'd be lying
1: if I said this game ain't with norris. I'm just trying to turn a pen into a benton notice. And that's the trailer for All Gone Wrong. Pretty awesome. We're going to hop into Josh's interview in just a second. But before that, I do just want to let you know that if you enjoy what you hear on the show, you can donate to me. Um, you go to my social media at Social Writer Pod, and there's a Linktree link where you can click donate. It takes you to a PayPal thing. It's all legit. And if you want to toss me a few bucks, I will not say no to that. Uh, I really appreciate any help that you can give. Um... And also i dropped a short film on youtube and vimeo recently called ethan and edna it's the story of a depressed young man who's just experienced a breakup uh confiding in his recently widowed grandmother it's like a sweet little dramedy film that me and some friends from film school made and uh, i really hope you enjoy it uh check it out please if you already have um thank you and if you want to rate it on letterboxd or anything you totally can and should um I appreciate all of it. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you after. Josh Guffey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Good, good. Thanks
0: for uh inviting me. I uh I I don't know how much of a writer I am compared to some of the other people that you've had on, but uh uh this is going to be super fun to talk about the movie and and the process and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're selling yourself short a little bit because you did write a feature that we're going to talk about because it's getting a release on (laughs) multiple streaming platforms, so I think you're a writer. Uh, No, and guys, I might be a little more silly with Josh because Josh is actually someone who lives in St. Louis currently. We have gotten lunch together. We've hung out. We're friendly, Uh, as opposed to, I think, the 23 other guests I've had have all been exclusively over Zoom. No no in-person meetings ever with any of those people. Uh, Which is weird, but it's kind of the beauty of the internet and kind of the beauty of this podcast is it's a lot of screen. It's all screenwriters whom, uh, as opposed to you, (laughs) you're the exception, but it's been all screenwriters who I've met on Twitter who are from all parts of the country. Um, I can't remember if I've had at least one international guest, but um, yeah, it's been cool, dude, just like doing it all over Zoom. And uh, it's been really fun to kind of expand the network like that and talk about
0: writing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a solo gig that like, you know, to be able to just sort of reach out and sort of, you know, not only connect on, on that sort of level, but, but to kind of glean like little, you know, insights and things like that. That's, that's such a gift, you know, like, you know, directing is much the same way. Like, you know, I'm rarely on like other people's sets. So it's, it's, uh, it's hard to kind of know what that process is like for somebody else. So any way to like, kind of, chat about the craft and sort of learn that, that kind of stuff from somebody else, Um, you know, you got to jump at that opportunity. So it's it's a, it's a great format. I like what you're doing. Oh,
1: thanks. Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree. Like a lot of this is done out of my own selfish want to learn the tricks and trades of other people. (laughs) Um, I've had some filmmakers on like yourself who have, you know, gotten a feature going or made a cool short or written a script that placed in a really prestigious contest or won an award. And, uh, and some people who are like, doing things you know like have like uh my one guest Said crumpler had a three-year deal at sony pictures television that he just signed that's like an exclusive deal where he's writing on sony tv shows um yeah. which is like wow. that's that's the dream of you know a lot of people who listen to this podcast i know i wouldn't i'm not even a tv writer per se but i wouldn't be mad if sony offered me a three-year tv deal <laughs> i'd be like yeah where do i sign uh, <laughs> right. i will i will yeah. figure it out so Yeah, it's kind of been like all uh, all ranges of, you know, uh, people's careers, you know, where people are at in this moment. So it's been cool to pick up, you know, tips from those who are doing big things and those who are kind of like, you know, still getting started, but have, you know, their own unique insights and own life experience. That's really cool to find out about. But enough about that. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about your movie, man. So a little context for the listeners. Um Josh wrote and directed a film called All Gone Wrong. Um, it stars Tony Todd, who you might know as the uh I mean iconic and anti- I dare I say iconic, you know, antagonist yeah. of the uh nineties. It was early nineties, right? Candyman. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So nineties yeah, he- horror movie Candyman. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's just somebody like I remember. I remember the feeling I had when I was a little kid when I saw Candyman. You know, you're, you're, you're reading all the horror movies with your buddies on the sleepover and you're trying to yeah. like see who can hang, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Candyman really kind of stuck with me. I mean, there was just something about it where the character, um, it just has like this resonance, you know, and, um, and so, you know, as I was, you know this was this was after the script had been written and everything we were trying to get the movie going um and you know just for some context this took me a long time the first draft of the script was in 2008 and then you know fast forward like 10 years and i was you know we had shot some proof of concept stuff my good friend jake kaufman who's the lead in the film he's been with with me on the idea every step of the way but um you know, I had lived in three different cities over the course of this project. I lived in Chicago when I first started writing it. Then I moved to LA with Jake and we were there for six years. And then I moved to St. Louis and it was 2018 when I decided to just kind of like set a shoot date and, and, and see if that was the way to get the train moving. And I just happened to see that a friend of a friend who's now a friend, um, Frank Merle had done a movie with Tony and, you know, I had written the movie for so long, and and I I never really wrote with a person in mind for any of the roles except for Jake. And to be able to, I I just kind of like daydreamed a little bit about you know what if what if Tony was in the role of Hughes and Hughes is like he's this drug kingpin who, um you know he's like the third man or you know he's the boogeyman. You have to just be thinking about him when he's not there and. And so then knowing his iconography as Candyman, it was like, okay, that's the kind of person we need. And and if we were to get lucky and get somebody who is was, who was is well-known, that would be the role I would try to slot somebody in because, you know, it's, it, it is that kind of, there's a mystique around that person in the movie and yeah. So lo and behold, you know, Frank was able to read the script and wanted to produce the movie. And then he got the script to Tony and it was, um, it was it was just really surreal because, we you know, like I said, I've been just kind of fumbling around trying to figure out how to make it for 10 years. And then to all of a sudden hear like, hey, uh, Tony Todd is interested in doing your movie. It, it just wasn't it wasn't the kind of news I was used to hearing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but that and that was one of many th- points along the way as like during production and post and stuff where I, I just felt just incredibly grateful to be in those positions as the movie got made, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So real quick, just for context, do you mind kind of just giving a brief description of the movie, like a log line, however you want to put it?
0: Yeah. So All Gone Wrong is a crime thriller. Um, A rookie undercover cop is killed in a drug bust gone wrong the veteran in charge is put on leave while they go uh, investigate um, the situation. And while he's on leave, he decides to do some investigating of his own and he uncovers uh, sort of a, an under underground drug network um, in a rural town that's connected to everything. And uh, it's connected to uh, his work as an undercover cop in ways that he didn't expect. So um, it, it is definitely um, a movie that, you know, it's based on a real case, loosely based on a real case. And, um, you know, my sister is a police officer. And when I graduated college, she had just become um, a police officer in our hometown. And uh, in interviewing her superiors, I was able to just hear stories about these guys who had worked undercover narcotics in the 80s and things like that. And, I just had heard parts of the job that I just wasn't expecting, you know, there's, there's ways in which these small town units are funded through civil forfeiture you can um, suspect somebody of a crime and charge them with a crime. And then that kind of, if, if their property is deemed, if, if they, if they think they got it through that illegal activity, you, the police can seize it. It's called civil forfeiture. And mm-hmm. so cars money is how you know, through that process, that's how these units are funded. And when I heard that, I was just, I was just really fascinated. So that, that was sort of the germ of wanting to really tell the story. And then the, the actual case itself, about an undercover cop going into a small town and kind of playing everybody off each other and walking out with a case. It sounded like, you know, Kurosawa's Yojimbo or like Fistful of Dollars or, you know, these kinds Mm -hmm. of like Western archetype stories. And so I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like, it, it could be a grounded kind of Michael Mann version of that kind of, um, that kind of story. And so, you know, all those things really kind of carried me through the process. And then I just wanted to keep packing it with real details, like things I'd heard people say and, and little tricks of the trade that I didn't think had been shown before. And, um, that was, that was fun. Just kind of taking that kind of structure and then like you know fortifying with um with those observations
1: yeah man and and it comes off as so authentic too like the authenticity is there you clearly did a lot of research um it it really blew me away so um again for context for the listener i got to see this film at the 2022 st louis filmmaker showcase um, on a double feature night and your feature was the second one to play i think and uh yeah it was it was really really good it really blew me away honestly like uh i had been hearing about the film but um you know how it goes like here in in st louis we're not exactly like a hotbed for uh you know bigger budget films and not that your film is a big budget but just saying like <laughs> I, even even bigger projects don't really shoot here you know you don't hear about much i think there's been like winter's bone had like a portion i think shot in uh maybe the ozarks funny yeah. enough the show ozark was not shot in the ozarks <laughs> right um and yeah, yeah it's just we're not a hotbed here like even you know chicago it doesn't have that much film production i don't think but they have way more than us yeah. uh yeah yeah. So yeah, it was it was really, really cool to see a movie with St. Louis roots um, achieve what you achieved. I thought it was just so well done. Um, Thank you. Yeah, of course, man. So uh, I guess we'll kind of just like jump into a little bit more about you and then we'll talk some more specifics about the film. Uh, yeah. But like, so you said that this script started in 2008, but I want to know, how did you get into screenwriting?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, I, I have there's a, random helicopter going over my house right now. Oh, um, I
1: sent that over. I just like the ambiance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. This was way more common in LA. Not so much <laughs> here. Yeah, um, right. But uh, so sc- screenwriting was kind of, you know, it was part of some of the filmmaking classes that I had taken in college. I, I went to the University of Iowa and I I studied economics and then I had a dual degree in cinema and comparative literature. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote in college as, as a means to just, you know, create a story that I could shoot and direct. Directing was sort of the the goal. And then, you know, when I graduated school, um, I had done a couple of short films that were kind of in the same space, you know, just through those conversations I mentioned earlier. And, <laughs> and so I wanted to take the big swing. You know, everybody out of school wants to really make their big film. And, you know, it took me longer than I anticipated. But, you know, in the end, that was that was good for the film you know it like like i said it gave me that time to do that research um to become just kind of better at at writing i mean frankly a lot of those early drafts were just not very good and and you're just trying to find it you know you're trying to find the process um you know is it like like do i want to write a draft as fast as possible do i want to not move forward until a scene is perfect. Like, you know, those kinds of things happen in those first drafts. And and it's funny because, you know, I've written other things that, that I haven't made, but, um, this script has sort of been with me at all stages of my ability level. So Mm -hmm. I, I remember what it was like to write this movie and feel like I wasn't up to the task. And then, and then feeling like, man, this is a, this is ready to go. Like, let's go shoot this. Like, and just feeling so confident that, that I I thought it was going to work and I was Mm -hmm. proud to send it out. So it's funny to sort of like this movie sort of encompasses everything I know about writing a movie because it's been one of those projects that I've always revisited and refreshed. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and you try everything. It's like, I, I liked writing in cafes, you know, it got me out of the house where there was too much, um, to distract me, you know? And then, um, you know, you, you try to turn off your wifi and you try to just like, Hey, maybe I'm going to like close all the apps and expand, you know, final draft at that time, final draft, like to the whole screen. And I'm just going to like, you know, and you try to just do all these little cheats and, um, and, you know, a lot of those obviously still hold true. And I still write that way in, in some ways, but, you know, there were times too, where, because it's a detective story, really kind of trying to figure out the engine of those kinds of movies and like, you know, when to parse out information and how um, that was just, that was part of my education too, because I mean, this is one part of the process and I would not recommend this, but you know, the journey to make a movie is never straight. You know, we had the script written and then Jake and I in 2011 decided, Hey, let's put some money into a proof of concept. We'll shoot the, the, the first 10 pages in the movie. And we shot in LA, we got permits, we did the whole thing, we had full-load blanks. And and then I cut that myself, and I really liked it. But I realized this shouldn't be... <laughs> this is so crazy to think about. It's like, this shouldn't be the first 10 minutes of the movie. This should be the turn. This should be when the whole story turns. Like, this is like how the whole thing changes, whereas it was just sort of like a set piece to open the movie. Mm-hmm. And... And so everybody was like, dude, you've been working on this forever. Like you're going to do a page one rewrite. Like, are you insane? And so I basically rewrote the whole movie based on that experience. And we have put a lot of resources into that. And like, you know, uh, it it just, it feels like the way it had to go now, but at the time it felt like a very difficult choice. And so at that time I was like, okay, this is where it's going to turn. And I need to really understand what a detective movie is. And, you know, you watch, the big sleep and, and all that kind of stuff. And you're, and you're like, you know, you learn, Hey, yeah. Zootopia is also a detective story. Like this is, you know, I'll watch that, you know, yeah. or whatever. And, yeah. and, and you get to know some of the rules and, and, mm-hmm. and then you, you have to figure out what is this conspiracy that I have to build and how do I dole out that information and how do I make it compelling, you know? And so I, I wrote, drafts of the script in notebooks longhand. At that point, I wrote, like, I just, um, you know, I really tried to just change my process to sort of get out of my mind and, 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 um, you know, slow myself down, speed myself up, try to like figure out, cause like, you know, some people say you write a draft and then when you're going back and reading it, you're sort of revising it as you go. And that kind of worked for me a little bit, but also like then doing a page one rewrite, based on what you remember working about that draft and writing it longhand. Like I did it all. And Mm -hmm. even before I wrote, I wrote notebooks full of notes and research and I would sketch characters. And, you know, you just, you just try to take everything that's in your head and put it down and then be able to like filter it and, you know, and just basically give yourself more than you can use so that you can really make what's there shine you
1: know yeah. and at that point it's it's a puzzle all yeah. your notes all your research all your experience all your ideas about characters plot whatever um are all in your head you write them all out you do whatever however you want to do it um every writer is different but at that point it's just putting together the complex puzzle of like all the pieces are here and they're all supposed to go into that i just don't know where to combine them and where to place them and <sighs> you yeah. you try you you fuck up it doesn't work and then you have that revelation in the shower one day of like oh my god that thing that happens on page 24 that should happen on page 50 and that's the midpoint yeah. and yeah. uh and then yeah. you go write it and try it again but like i i love so was this your first feature i know you said it you was, kind of learned writing it, by it going was, back and revisiting it
0: yeah it was my first feature i wrote and mm. um and then you know you're also like asking friends so you don't like I would do all those things you, you know, you hear about, like I would get friends to read it and, you know, you get notes or whatever. Um, And then you also like have a table read where you're like, okay, this is really going to show, you know, you got to show your ass a little bit because Mm. it will, you, you know, it will make it better. Um, That, that is just agony. You know, I mean, you're just like, you're sort of, Hey, I brought you all together. And here's this script that I wrote and I worked for, fucking years on it and then Mm, now look how bad it is and we're gonna look and we're gonna talk about it you know and and you know and then you realize oh all the dialogue is just uh another version of tough guy dialogue that i've heard in movies because that was like you know honestly i'm not a police officer i never did undercover drugs so it's like you're just trying to fill in the blanks with things that you feel like you know Mm -hmm. and it's all from other things and so that's why i was like oh Now I I really got to put in the legwork to like do some ride alongs and follow some people and go back to those people. I initially talked to for the germ of the idea and really get under the hood and be like, what were you wearing? What, like, what, what were some of the things that you did that, that aren't like broad strokes that you don't even think about anymore, but are actually things that are, that matter, you know, and you try to, you know, really figure it out because when you start to write, those you can trick yourself into thinking those broad strokes, like, are enough, and you're like, oh, it's there. But then you start to write, and you're like, oh shit! Like, how does he come in the room? Like, how, you know, who? Mm-hmm. who like, does a undercover does detective
1: even do that in their office? That specific yeah. thing that I'm <laughs> right. having them do, you know, or is that something they just do at home? Like, little things yeah. like that. I, I yeah. just mentioned the other day on a podcast. I was doing a friend's uh, writing podcast. And I was talking about like a thing that I've been saying since film school, since I really started was um, if I write a movie about a dentist, I want a dentist to read it and be like, that is so true. You yeah. nailed it. And because yeah. uh, it's any specific world that you're writing in, just trying to be as true as you possibly can to that world. Sometimes even in, in I'm an overthinker. I think I have like, you know, not diagnosed OCD, but I'm very OCD about I'm very particular about a lot of shit in my life. And, yeah. um, and one of them being writing. So like sometimes it's like I will obsess over a detail that probably no one is even going to notice. But to me, it's like it's important. It needs to be right.
0: Yeah. And obviously you can overdo those things. But like yeah. but in terms of what you're describing in your process, like that will give you the mental like solving that quote unquote will give you the mental bandwidth to tackle something else. And so you 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 have to know that that's important, even though like, yeah, it might not be, it's like, you know, like not, not to get into like director bullshit or anything like that, but like essentially like Coppola talked about, like, I dressed the streets of New York for the period part of Godfather two, like four blocks down, even though my, the producers were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, no, one's going to see that detail. No one's going to see that period car four blocks away. And he was like, but if it's not there, you would feel it. And then the whole thing falls apart and whether he's right or wrong, it, it, it doesn't matter. His approach is I have to, I have to sort of guard against all those pitfalls. And so for you, it's like, I don't care if somebody notices it on the draft, but if it wasn't there, they'd notice it, you know?
1: Yeah. I think, yeah. Some of those things are just little like details, just little spicy little details, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to say too, um, uh oh no, I'm getting sidetracked. Oh no, oh no. Um, but yeah, like I, I do like that you kind of have that story because my first script, my first feature I wrote is called suplex. It's a drama that I wrote. And yeah. um, it's the script that like I wrote a first draft, didn't fully know what I was doing, and and then I'd revisit it every few months and just for a read, just to be like, I'm gonna remember what that is you know i'm gonna read through it yeah and then before i know it i'm opening the final draft document and doing a rewrite for the next four or five days because i'm like (laughs) i've just become a little bit better of a writer over these months uh yeah and i found that that's my script kind of like you're all gone wrong is the one that um i've really learned a lot about writing through with just you know every time i learn every few months i like to revisit it and just tighten it up and now it's at the point where it's like pretty tight but I've done a lot of rewrites on it over the years. And um, I think that's a good way to write, you know, just get your first one out. It's maybe not going to be good, but um, you will continue to get better at writing. If there is a a core idea in that story that you really feel like you want to express to the world, go back and keep revisiting it and tightening it up. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, like that's the way of a writer. And I I was, uh, this is what I was going to say that I forgot. Yeah, I was watching a thing yesterday that was a little sit down conversation about directing between uh, Ryan Johnson, who just did Glass Onions, the second Knives Out movie, and then Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, who did everything everywhere all at once.
0: Oh, sweet.
1: Yeah, it was a cool interview. I forget. I think it might have been. um It wasn't Variety. It wasn't The Hollywood Ra- Reporter, but it was one of those kind of outlets. I and, love uh, those, Yeah. Uh, Yes. So good. So intimate. It's like a 30 minute conversation of them just shooting the shit about story and directing. And uh, the Daniels were talking about how like they're like, you know, I'm still like trying to figure out how to even write. Like every time that I approach it, even now we have this movie that's, you know, been more successful than we thought it was going to be. Every time I sit down, I'm like, you know, do I how do I start? Do I do an extensive outline, or do I just jump in and feel it? Like all these things that a very beginner novice screenwriter asks themselves. yeah this these pro writers who have this big successful movie are asking. And they said that, and then Ryan Johnson chimed in like, well, when you find out, let me know. And that just goes to show that this (laughs) is a craft that will always be developing and always growing. And we're never going to know for sure. And I think it's okay too, if from project to project, you change your method of getting it done, um, which is just it's it's as interesting and exciting as it is frustrating. There's no one way to do this.
0: You know, along the same lines, there's there's a series. Um, I think I think um, the BAFTAs puts it on, but it, but it's writers talking about their craft, and and it's a bit more like kind of one directional. It's like them talking to like an audience. And there was one that Lord and Miller did, and and there was a, the, the the core idea that I really took from it is they have and they apply this to all their like animation work and everything too. Is they they have open mode and closed mode, and it's basically like they decide, okay, is this a part of the process? That's an open mode where like every idea has to get on the table. We're not filtering ourselves. We're putting it all out there. And then when they get into closed mode, that's when it's like, okay, every idea is scrutinized and, and, and what works the best. And, and so, you know, you can go between the two and that sort of thing, but just that concept really influenced me. um, You know, as I've written since, since I watched that, you know, and that helped, some of those final polishes that have all gone wrong, and then other things I've gone underwritten it, to write, and and including you know like you know my day job as a commercial video director producer, mm-hmm. you know a lot on the small a lot of the smaller things I'll write copy for VO or you know those types of things, and so I'll definitely you know I won't worry about length or format or anything like that. I'll literally just try to get in a quiet place and just like write that stream of consciousness, overwrite it and just pour it out. Like, what is that monologue of this voiceover? And then kind of go back and just and then you're able to sort of shop around within your writing. You're like, I like this. I like that. This doesn't work. This is redundant to that other thing. And you just get to like kind of cherry pick and, and then you're, and then you're like, you know, it's that 80, 20 rule. Then you're like 80% of the way there. And it only took you 20% of the time. Mm -hmm. And you just have to get into that pure deep work open mode. And I really like that. And it's kind of how I like to work now. Um, just because, um, you know, there's a lot of things that demand our time these days, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like I said, you know, there's the job, there's there's, um, the family and, and that sort of thing. And so when I do sit down, it's like, I really have to decide. I can't, I can't just kind of mess around. Um, yeah. I have to decide, Hey, this is open mode. I'm just going to pour it out. And, you know, when I'm in closed mode later, when I sit down, that's when I'll scrutinize this stuff. But yeah. you, know, you have to make that those, those sessions productive because they start to feel shorter and shorter as yeah, I get older, you know?
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating thing for me. I don't have kids, but I was in film school not long ago as an adult and had a a job, you know, and I'm doing school and balancing all these things. I was also really participating in uh, improv more back then. I was on like three different teams and really just spreading myself so thin. But I thought I was I was more productive in my film stuff back then, as opposed to whenever the pandemic hit, everything grinded to a halt. And now I do have all day to kind of like dick around because I know I'll have time later. And, uh, and I'm really trying to break that habit now, man, because like it, it, it got bad. And like, it's crazy how sometimes the busier you are and the tighter of a schedule you have, the more focused work you can get done in a small amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, I love that. And we we have a lot of people who listen to the show who, like you, have young kids and um, a day job that they're working 40 hours. I'm not sure uh, if your day job is still like that. Uh, I know you did make a transition.
0: Yeah, I, I was staff. I was a staff video producer uh, for Vidzu Media here in town, but um, I'm now sort of on my own um, largely to try to focus on this next big writing project and also kind of coax the release of All Gone Wrong out yeah. January 27th on all the rent-buy platforms. Yeah, let's um, get that
1: out. I did see that uh, January 27th, All Gone Wrong is going to be out on Apple TV+, Plus, iTunes, Amazon, Vudu,
0: Google Play, and Cable On Demand. Is that all of them? That's right. I'm pretty sure it's kind of wherever yeah. wherever people normally rent or buy a new movie streaming, it'll be there. Um, be there. Yeah. yeah. And then I think there's a there's an iTunes pre-release window starting on the 20th. But okay, uh cool. but the 27th is kind of when it goes live. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like, you know, the the day job is now more flexible. Like it's Mm -hmm. more project to project. And so I, I keep, I keep myself open to it, you know? And and really it's like, if I, if I try to give myself a hard time, like, Oh, I haven't written as much lately, or this, this job is kind of taking up my time or or there's kind of more family stuff going on, you know, you just have to kind of let that go and just like just say, Hey, I have to be because, because then I don't want to go into the next time I'm able to write with this kind of ax to grind, you know, like you want to kind of always feel like it's just kind of flowing. I mean, that was one, that's, that's one major thing I learned just over the course of making a movie, you know, we, we finished the movie in um, 2021, and then now it's coming out in 2023. And so it'll be a 15 year window since I started writing the script and when it comes out. And so the thing I just always take away from it is, it, it'll happen if it happens, if you push it forward a little bit, you know, like you might not be moving it as forward as you want to, and it can feel agonizing because it's going so slow. But if you are even just thinking about it and making that mental decision, this is a project I will make, I will finish. Um, it's worth it. And so, you know, as I go into this new thing, it's, it's a big project. Um, there's a lot more research to do on it, which I thought I had to do a lot of research for all gone wrong, but I now I'm just constantly trying to remind myself, Hey, it's a, it's a marathon, try to sprint when you can, but you're probably going to end up walking most of the time and just, just, just keep going, you know,
1: a hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, to break into Hollywood, which is the dream for all of us, uh, a lot of people need to have an established brand uh it, it doesn't help to you know make your first feature film a horror film that gets a little bit of success and then when you get some knocks at your door you're like oh i want to make a broad comedy and that's it you know like it's God. all like that wouldn't make sense so how does uh josh guffey describe his brand
0: well so if i if i want to extrapolate out from the parts of all gone wrong that i would love to carry forward i i i, I am very proud of sort of those those authentic aspects of it, you know, like crime thriller is sort of my chosen genre. I love that Mm -hmm. stuff. I, I, you know, it's like, if I'm feeling super basic, that's what I'm looking for when I want to see something. And so I love that. And I definitely feel like I would love to continue to work in that genre and, and figure out how to mix things up with the rules that I I've come to know just through working on all gone wrong. But mm-hmm. I think one thing I'm carrying forward in other projects is that sense of like rigor and like, and like being authentic in the research process and really knowing mm-hmm. what to research, what to invent and, 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 and really pushing towards something that you, that feels tangible, feels palpable, you know, even if I'm, you know, cause I, you know, I wrote, I wrote a comedy, like, you know, maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I loved it. And, 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 but, but there were parts of it that I was like, I really want this to feel lived in. I really want this to feel like it's based on something that actually happened, you know, cause you want that tangibility, that kind of like, where the, where it's so specific that the audience is like, Oh, that that's me, you know? And, and it yeah. only happens when it's so specific. So I think that that could be something that I would, I would own up to as a brand is like is I don't want I I never want something to feel glossed over in a mm-hmm. in a movie that I write or direct you know I don't want it to feel like oh they just kind of foam that in and hoping nobody catches it um, that like especially working in a crime thriller space like I just did like you know and I understand it the marketing of the movie is gonna amplify the aspects of the movie that are common to things that are you know, successful, you know, like the action that's present in the movie and things like that. But what I do want people to take away when they watch it is like, oh, this is, this is that plus that lived in experience. I don't want it to feel tough guy. And, oh, we got our, like, we got our, our, uh, our milestone action scenes in, you know, like, I don't want it to feel that way that it's sort of a plug in, plug in genre thing, you know? By the
1: book, crime thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Bring some kind of element of surprise and something unique to the genre.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm pretty real. Like I know, I know I had, I had to be as ambitious as possible with some of those elements. And so Mm. then, okay, I've got to do these things as, as working in this genre. How can I do them in a way that, like I said, reveals some of those learnings that i found in the research process so the audience is like oh i've never seen it before like that or i didn't know that was like that in reality and what's also cool too is like when you do that you actually discover that there are some genre sequences that could come out of some of these situations like you know one of the opening sequences of the movie is based on some of the real tactile stuff like uh, just in terms of audio surveillance and whatnot, so you have this real life situation, and I only really knew how to create that suspense sequence, which turns into an action sequence because because I could sit across from somebody who had to make that decision, like do I do I enter this house or not? You know, mm-hmm. and 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 that palpable sense of suspense comes out of the research. Like I don't know if I would have been able to invent that, honestly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh is it the scene, the the big jumping off point in the movie? Am I thinking of the yeah. right scene? I don't want to spoil anything on this podcast because I really yeah. want everyone to watch this movie. And the scene that we're referencing right now, you'll know when it happens. Uh it's a it's the jumping off point of the entire movie, but it is intense. Uh, it's so cool that you worked with uh I mean blanks, but like live weapons, live ammunition, um, with an arm- is in that what that jab is armor.
0: Yeah, an armor. Yeah, so yeah they, with, they supply the those weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's 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 crazy. And you know, like for me, like so, it's an independent film. We're moving really fast. We don't have a whole lot of time. I mean, yeah. once people see the movie, like we shot that entire sequence in one day, um, from the from the car to the end of the sequence. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we're one or two takes the whole time, and we're dealing with. A th- um, full load blanks with an armor and so you know there's a process I mean there's been a lot of coverage on this lately just because of you know the rust set and stuff like that sure and sure. those types of things I feel like happen you know obviously I don't know the ins and outs but mm-hmm. those types of things happen when you rush or when you don't take the time to let the armor uh, have the safety meeting know what they're doing show show the checked weapon to the talent show the checked weapon to the AD Mm-hmm. Hand it to the talent. Talent feels safe with it. Yep. You do the take. The talent freezes, the armor takes the weapon, clears the weapon, makes sure it's safe. And then you do it all over again. But it's yep. all it's it's very like in introduce this dangerous element safely, do the take, take the dangerous element out safely, and then then discuss what the next take needs to be. And so yep. knowing that process, I was like, okay, I have very limited amount of time. I know what setups we absolutely have to have. Let's go do those setups. Um, and so, you know, that's the thing: is the the shooting ratio on the movie was so lean. Every setup we we did is basically in the movie. There's no there's no coverage, uh, so to speak. You know, I, I mm-hmm. knew I had to cover everything in just those setups, um, yep. and that just came with having lived with the movie in my head for so long and having written it for so long. Is you start to you don't know like, okay, I, I really don't need these these twelve shots. I need these four, and they've got to be really fucking good, you know? yeah, yeah, I love that.
1: yeah, um okay, so uh, let's talk about you and your process a little bit. So since everyone's routine is unique, you kind of talked about how you know you have learned you kind of like writing in cafes when you can, but you also have a family and a day job. Uh yeah. can you describe what your regular writing routine is like? Um you know, are you a daytime writer, nighttime, whenever you can, at your house out in the wild? Like what's it usually like for you when you sit down to write?
0: Now it's it's all daytime. Um it's all daytime and it's after I've gotten the kids on the bus. Um mm-hmm. so like I'll wake up early and and I used to like waking up really early and before everybody's wake woke up and have that quiet, that dark, you know, and it's the best and time it's, to ride, honestly, it if it you really have the drive is. to
1: wake up early.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and those, those, I, I did that for a while when, um, you know, when my son was first born, um, mm-hmm. Henry, and and, and this is a while ago, but, yeah. uh, and, and you get a lot of productive time out of it. I found though that like that little window, that hour and a half or two hours you get, I was never able to really get back into it after that because mm-hmm. you, you know, and so now what I do is I I actually work for a longer period of time, but it's during the day. So I'll wake up early still, like get moving around. Um, and then, you know, I'll help get my wife out the door kids on the bus and then it's like eight 30 or nine. And I have like kind of the morning to kind of crush. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I do. Um, yeah. And if I'm working on a job, like a commercial job, and a, like I'm producing something and I have to you know, do all that kind of stuff, I'll make sure I prioritize that. But I'll always try to figure out, like, hey, I got this window between I like, get the kids on the bus and I get them off the bus, and I and the writing's pretty much got to happen then. Because by the time they get off the bus and then I make dinner and then, you know, homework, get the kids down, I'm pretty tired. So, yeah, so I I can I, imagine. I'm like a... Yeah. I, yeah. I don't go to bed later than like, say nine 30 or 10, 10 30 at the very latest. And I'm usually just trying, that's what I'm trying to watch something at that point. So yeah. the writing time is daytime. It's, yeah. it's so, it's strictly daytime. And if I was, if, if I do like decide, Hey, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to write or whatever, I'm kind of useless the next day. And yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm kind
0: of a softy in that way. Like, I, you know, I'm 38 now, almost 39, and uh, if I don't get more than if I don't if I don't get seven hours of sleep, I'm kind of, I'm kind of useless. I feel you, man.
1: Um, cool. So let's like talk about your process. Let's say you have a brand new idea what's the first thing that you do? Do you like jump into an outline? Do you jump into, I'm going to write a log line that just says what my idea is, or do you jump like right into pages? What's it usually like for you when you have a new idea?
0: Um, Well, I think it's, I think it's an outline basically. And then like if, and then I, because, because like you said, like for me, it kind of changes every time a little bit, but, but I like outlining. I like, I like that kind of, um, Oh, this feels like it goes after this, and and all of a sudden you start to see it kind of like stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy that. And then, but then I can kind of get freaked out because I like I like the outlining process so much that I don't want to go into the pages. I want to feel like, hey, I've I've made this outline and the outline is semi-perfect in my eyes. And 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 you don't want to sort of break free. So you just have to kind of like, you know, stop, stop that mental block, you know, because like for for me, it's like every single stage of the process, there's a voice that says, all right, you can chill. You you finished that. You finished mm-hmm. that part. You know, and I and you just have to keep pressing forward. And so, you know, I think I'm at a point where I like I I I find it really seductive. And I'm in future projects I'm working on this more and more is doing that kind of vomit draft because I feel like I am so you know kind of to the to the point with the research stuff that like I need to have some sort of other end of the spectrum to sort of balance it out because because I, I do work kind of slow so I want to take these like maybe I do want to get ahead of my skis a little bit with a scene and then I and then at least a version of that scene that I don't want to do is already out of me you know mm-hmm. Um and so it's it's the outline and then if i do see a sequence that's like really clear like okay this this is going to feel like this i will try to crank that out i'll try to do like 10 or 15 pages and just get that sequence feeling right mm-hmm. and i mean but the project i'm working on currently is based on a real event a, a series of real events and there's and it's like from the 1970s and so there's a, an incredible amount of research and it's it requires an amount of research that i think is more attuned to like documentary, or you're even like a journalist or something, or like an author, like doing like a true crime kind of book. And so I'm doing that kind of research, and I'm going to libraries, and I'm pouring through old newspaper articles, and I'm, and I'm like making phone calls to like records offices and these kinds of things. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm building up those chops, because that's super fun. I've never had to really dig in to that degree. And so I'm trying to make, that be one of the new skills I learned on this one. And then, so I built this sort of research timeline of events outline thing. That's like, you know, 60 pages. And then that will be sort of like my, these are the events that happened. And now I can sort of copy that document, create a new one and just now, okay, get it on its feet, make it a movie, you know, or make it a show, you know? Um, And then you start to once you start doing that, you start realizing, oh, this whole set of events is really not playing a part in what I'm trying to do here. And so you start to really see what what's calling for your attention and what what's kind of falling away, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, You're going to be one of the few modern day writers that's actually going to a library (laughs) (laughs) to do. I actually just talked about that with someone else about how I'm so fascinated with how filmmakers and writers got by before the internet like <laughs> i feel so spoiled that I'm, everything's a google search away i have all the shiniest new word processors that point out my grammar mistakes and yeah all of these things they put formatting into formatting back in the day you had to have a knowledge of how to yeah. format um on like a typewriter which yeah. isn't well, to me
0: i mean what's crazy is like i would say about five percent of the research I've compiled for this mm-hmm. new story is on the internet. And that's, awesome. you know, so there's like, there's, I mean, there's, I mean, it was like a national story at one point. And like, you know, it, there was a big article in Rolling Stone magazine about it and stuff, but like that story is not in a digital edition on Rolling Stone's website or, or even, uh. you know, and so I have to, I go on eBay and I'm I'm going to buy that issue and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, read it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah and, yeah. and
0: so, you know, and like all, and like, you know, St. Louis has an incredible sort of, uh, an incredible group of universities and they all have mm-hmm. really robust libraries and yeah. they're, you know, in particularly the Missouri, the university of Missouri, St. Louis has mm-hmm. the mercantile library. And there's tons of like old, uh, issues of the St. Louis Globe Democrat, which is no longer around anymore. So like mm-hmm. you can really dig into that and like, you ask them hey what do you have on this person and you give them a name and you know the librarians are just there they're that the, this is their beat and they they can't wait to to have you and yeah. and all yeah. of a sudden they start to like hey what's this for and then they start to become like hey let's run this down let's like let's let's exhaust this library let's find everything we have mm-hmm. and to the point where you know with this particular story they're like, you know, it deals with some some plane and helicopter hijackings, and and they're like, I mean, what what airline was that? And you know, I'm talking to Charles, the librarian, and he's like, I, we have all the old internal memos of TW Airlines because they were based in St. Louis, so like, we have the internal communications when these hijackings were going on and stuff. And I'm oh like, oh my I god, know? I had no idea. And so you know, you start to just like unearth all of this material and none of it is online it's none of it is digitized period
1: that is crazy that is a total writing hack i think that uh probably some writers know about but i certainly didn't that maybe you can get some of the richest information by just getting off the internet and going to a library and talking to someone who lives this shit you know like their history buffs or whatever and just information buffs uh i i find that the profession of librarians to be fascinating. I once dated a girl who wanted to get into being a librarian, but she hadn't yet like chosen her major yet yeah. at the time. But to me, that was such a strange major. I was like, that's so weird. But um, then I actually was made to learn about it a little bit. And now I'm kind of fascinated by it. Like it's, yeah, it's
0: cool, but,
1: um, yeah. yeah man, that's rad. Um, so you mentioned being kind of a slow writer and I am as well. Uh, yeah, But how long do you take on average to write a first draft from honestly, like, you know, starting an outline until you hit the end on the script?
0: Oh man. I mean, if I'm being charitable or if I, I want to like make myself look better than I mm. probably am, I would say like a few months, but um, yeah. you know, I hear these stories about like pro writers will write a draft and you know, four weeks or something or like six weeks. And I just feel like I just don't have that uh, that gene, you know, or, or whatever it is. I mean, and, and I'm not trying to minimize, like, I'm, I'm not saying like they have something that is just sort of built in, like that's an incredible amount of hard work and they're out there doing it. Yep. I don't, yeah. I don't work that way. Um, unfortunately to my detriment, but you know, I, it takes me months and it, and, yeah. and I, and I find it hard to split my time over multiple projects. And so that's, that's kind of also part of what I'm working on now is, is how to have multiple projects at the same time. Me too. Um, just just, You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because, because now, now, like, you know, like I said, it took me a long time to make this first film. It just, it, uh, that that's how it goes. And so if Mm -hmm. if you do not have multiple projects going at the same time, you're just going to sign yourself up for like, at best, like a movie every 15 years, you know, it's like, it's just not going to work out. So at um, best too,
1: because people love like, from what I understand, you know, I'm still very new to it, but people in the industry who are making things happen every day, they love to forget about you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're not coming in with fresh shit every, you know, so often, like even once a year, Yeah. um, they're probably not going to remember you people like to because there's always going to be like I I like to and this is probably like not the greatest thing to put out there. But I do think it's like a dose of reality is that I've heard a lot of successful people say one of their driving forces is knowing that there's always someone out there right on their coattails who yeah. is willing to work just a little bit harder. <laughs> and I'm not trying to put like toxic work mindset out there, grind set, you know, work 24 seven. I'm not trying to say that, but yeah. all I am saying is that like, you know, we're talking about working on multiple things at a time, and yeah. it's, it's true. And that's actually something that my manager, who uh, we've been working together for a year now, um, is kind of like trying to ease me onto that path as well, because it's like I do have a habit of obsessing with one project and only getting yeah. one thing going, and it's like. I've also got the good fortune of being friendly with um, a producer who's done some major shows and major films. And uh, he has, he does a little mentorship group that I'm lucky to be a part of. And he expresses that to us all the time because he's like, if you have four things going or five things going, you have to understand that you would be so lucky if one, of those things yeah. hit you'd be so yeah. lucky if one hit yeah. and it's just the hard reality of someone who's been doing this for 25 years at you know a very high level yeah. um it's just knowing that even for very famous well-known people it's still hard to get shit going like yeah uh, it, it, there's a little bit of magic every time that you get some yeah
0: I, I i'm always floored when you when when i think about this sort of thing because i mean they like i think this industry is kind of more like sports than, than anything. I think like the art form of cinema is kind of the most like music, Mm -hmm. but then the industry is most like sports in, in in that, you know, like production, it's like, it's like the game, you know, you, you've got, you've got one crack at it. It's like Mm -hmm. you either, you either play the game at a high level or you lose. And, and that's kind of what it's like. And then, and so, you know, if you want to make, the big leagues, like you've got to, you got to work really hard. And, and, or if you're not able to spend as much time as say this other person on your heels, you just have to have that work that you're doing, be as, be as uh, sort of gratifying and deep as you can and give the most of yourself to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, from what you said about like sort of the, the conversion rate of projects, like, you know, Todd field was one of my favorite directors It still is one of my favorite directors. You know, mm-hmm. I, am a huge in the bedroom and, and little children fan. And every once in a while I, I would like check in on his career and be like, dude, where, where's this cat at? Like what, what's going on? And, you know, you don't really find a lot, but then now he's got a new movie out called tar and it's like, yeah. you sort of realize, okay, that is, that is the product of like being gone for, you know, however long it was. And he was like working on commercials and he was writing scripts and, and he's developing tons of stuff and not everything's hitting. And it just happened that like, now this one did. And yeah. that's a guy who's elite. Like in my mind, he's, he's an Oscar nominee. He's like, yeah. his stuff is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And look at how hard it is to get that going. And so, you know, and that's, that's why I think for me and you, like in St. Louis, like, it's a little bit of a hack in my mind. Cause I was in LA for six years. I was in Chicago and, and this movie really didn't start moving until I got to St. Louis because there's, there's sort of like a lot of the clutter, a lot of that, like kind of rat race is gone. And so, so, you know, you, you, you get like the path for certain parts of the process, actually a little easier, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be, you know, people are out there and the writers, but they also want to be like a regional filmmaker. That's, that is an incredibly, like i feel like the position that regional filmmakers are in right now is inc- is incredibly strong because yeah. the tools to make things now is is cost effective enough i think talent is willing to go to smaller markets for the right project and you know if you can keep your budget down i mean y- there's no telling you know and like and then if you get into a festival if you if if you know if if things go right but that path is now sort of the clearest it's ever been in my mind you know
1: 100 agree yeah i mean just what you can get out of a 2600 black magic pocket now yeah uh, it, it you know with with you know given that you have a good gaffer and talent and all these things you can get a very very good image but like another thing uh you know, stylish, slick filmmaking aside, uh, I'm just going to steal another thing Ryan Johnson said in that interview. Uh, Don't go watch that, guys. Just listen to my podcast. You'll get the whole interview from my podcast. I'll reiterate (laughs) it. But no, he said this really cool thing that was like, you know, at this point in my career, I'm about the least concerned about getting slick, cool shots in my movies because I've come to realize that you can just get the most basic shot, reverse shot coverage on two great actors. And the audience doesn't really care what slick camera movement you're doing. They're engrossed in the performances. And that's so true. When I'm watching a movie, I, I love me some good filmmaking, but what I hate, is seeing like a short film that has the slickest filmmaking I've ever seen. And the performances are just not really hitting the story's not hitting. And you remember like, oh, there is so much more to filmmaking than cinematography. Yeah. It's it's juggling a lot of things and you have to be juggling them all at a high level, but there's good examples of, you know, films that like, you know, like clerks, clerks hit, not because of its cinematography but because it was just an interesting new quirky story uh where the characters were believable in this very unique niche world um and it hit
0: yeah i i mean i would say like flat out like i do see like sort of the instagram and like the lensification of like of independent filmmaking were like the stills from a shoot look insane and they look fucking awesome. And then yeah. like you watch the movie and it's trash and like yeah. Yeah. there's, it's it's now so easy to sort of make your film look legit on Instagram or things like that. And I just feel like it's, and that's why like our conversation today about writing is so important because, you know, that's where, that's where the movie's going to live and die. It's basically like, it's the writing and then the performances to your point like mm-hmm. those are the two things and so i knew like in shooting the movie okay i can't i can't put a shoot day in jeopardy because i want to have this sick wonder or something you know mm-hmm. i need to i need to make sure i'm getting the performances in a clear way in a dynamic way and have the compositions speak clearly you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so we shot on sony dslrs we shot on like the gear that we had and it's nice gear. It's not like, it's not, it's not a digital cinema camera. It's not an Alexa. It's not a red, mm-hmm. Yeah. but at yeah. the end of the day, it shoots UHD. We were able to get the level of production quality to, to the spot where it didn't become a problem. And then now I'm able to <laughs> spend that time with the performers, work on the script, all those kinds of like, real tangible fundamentals like yeah. those two things like being able to sort of speak clearly to talent and let them know what what you're going for and let them run with it and then have the script in really good footing i feel like that's kind of lost because because the tools are so easy to get your hands on now people think i'm going to pick up a camera i'm going to make it look sick and that's a movie and I don't know. I I I feel like that's um that's kind of the last thing on my mind now. Is you know I'm I I I like that quote from Ryan Johnson. Like you know there is such a fetishization of cameras now, um and I see why. Like the technology is changing so fast. It's getting so good. The resolution's going up. Like, uh you know all of that kind of thing. But that's not filmmaking, you know? That's not that's not movie making or, yeah, or storytelling.
1: Storytelling. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I do want to throw out there um again, just another encouragement to watch All Gone Wrong when it releases on January 27th. <laughs> uh, but you should watch it good, because good when we uh ran into each other at the award show for the festival, um, I was so shocked when you told me that I can't I mean, it might have been actually in when we met at VidZoo. But anyway, no matter what, uh, I was shocked when you told me that you shot on Sony DSLRs. I would not have thought that. I thought you were going to tell me you shot on a mini or something or whatever. And uh, yeah, I was yeah. blown away by that because I do uh, a lot of wedding shoots uh, with for a bigger company that I contract with and they have a fleet of Sony A7S3s and that's what we shoot weddings on. So I'm super familiar with those DSLRs and we used to have the 2s, we recently got the 3s, but yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm crazy familiar with those. And uh, the the cinematic image that you got out of that is really, really stunning to me. And just more of an encouragement. One of the reasons that I love having you here, not just because you're the homie, but also is that (laughs) you you built the film from the ground up. You just said, fuck it. No one is going to give me permission. So I'm just going to do it and make it happen. And you're right with the tools available to us nowadays, you can just do it. And I love a story where people just do it. And I love seeing that you took a camera that some people who are maybe making films for the wrong reasons would maybe kind of turn their nose at like, oh, you shot all that. Wow. But what you did was said, I can can do this with good direction, uh, good story instincts, actors who understand this story and want to play it in a true human way yeah Uh, and just attention to detail and good instincts and you fucking knocked it out of the park so to me that's like the beauty of indie filmmaking of course yeah because i mean i come from humble beginnings just like you and i'm st louis based and i'm not near hollywood and it's kind of like feeling like you have all the cards stacked against you but you know moving to L.A. isn't going to change if you, you know, aren't making films for the right reasons or telling stories from a real human place, you know, Um, whatever your chosen genre is, it could be anything. You could just maybe want to make a dumb zombie flick, uh, which is fine. But um You know, people who make zombie flicks that stand out are the people who, like you, with crime thrillers, they go back, they do all their homework, they watch all the great zombie films and learn all the genre conventions. And then you learn yeah. how you can flip those on their head or just bring something unique and new to the genre. Cause you've seen all the things that have been done by some, the masters, you know, the Romero's, but then yeah. also like, you know, whatever, the more contemporary, you know, walking dead type shit, but you learn where you can find a lane and make zombie Lane or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. something new and fresh.
0: Yeah. No, I love that point. I mean, cause like, and just kind of tying it all back together, the last point, like, You know, like Tony Todd said yes to the script. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't say yes because we were going to shoot on a cinema camera. You know, like he he actually was like completely disinterested in that, and Mm -hmm. like he never brought it up. I mean, he and he saw like what we were able to bring. Like he knows that he's going to St. Louis. He knows that the what the budget of the movie is, Mm -hmm. but he's signing on for the script, and he and he knows that like, hey, I'm going to go to this this part of the country that's not. Um, you know, New York, LA. It's not, it's not one of these big incentive areas like Atlanta or Chicago, Mm -hmm. but, but he, but he knows, okay. uh, These are people who know how to make a movie and they've, and, and and the script is giving him something to do that he's excited about. So like that, that was great. And then it gave me the chance to just be on a level with him because like, I don't know as much about making a movie as he does. He's made a million movies. And so, so but i i do know about the the this movie and so we were able to sort of like bring those two halves it's like he brings what it's like to create a character and make a movie and then i know what it's like to sort of be in this world and and write that story and so we were able to answer all these questions for each other and collaborate and it was like that down the line i mean that's that's the tough part about being a writer or a director is almost everybody around you is kind of more experienced than you at making movies. And so Mm -hmm. you have to kind of just drop, drop that. Like I'm the authority. No, no enough to be dangerous to have a common vocabulary with everybody. So you Mm -hmm. can collaborate. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like, I got to have you bring in your best and, you know, I'll give you the time as much as I can. I'll give you the respect, you know, like let's, let's have a great environment. But I got to have you like I'm not going to have all the ideas and this movie needs you, you know, like and you're having that conversation with everybody, you know, Um, come join us. And that that, too, is is the benefit of being a writer of the movie is that you sort of work on the pitch, you work on the movie and you and you really hone how you talk to people about it, because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you've got to tell everybody. About the movie and and it's and they've got to believe you, like because they're, you know, it's like, um, you know, they're 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 saying yes to you, too. So, like it's like, do I want to make a movie with this person? And so you you want to, you know, have that understanding of your movie and what you're doing so that you can pitch the movie to everybody because it's not just the important investors or whatever that you have to make that like awesome pitch to. it's it's the talent, it's the DP. it's you know, your casting director, it's other producers. It's like, everybody's got to see in you that you're, you're somebody to go along for the ride with. And, um, I think that starts in the writing, you know, like, like you said, like, do I start with a log line? I don't, but that, but I could see why somebody might, because they've got to know how to, understand the DNA of their movie so much so that it just comes out of them. It just oozes out of them when they talk about it. Like they, mm. there can't be any doubt, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure it's such a pleasure to work with a, an actor like Tony Todd and all the experience they bring just to see their starting point on take one of a scene and be like, Oh dude, fuck. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that that's so good. And um, yeah, that would just be so exciting as a director. I'm sure I was going to say, so when a first draft is complete, what's uh, the first thing you usually do? Do you like have a trusted peer group? Do you have a writer's group? Do you, uh, have you ever done paid notes? Um, I don't know if you're a contest person. That's a very prominent thing amongst a lot of writers on Twitter but, um, yeah, or do you like just kind of put it away and you know, read it another day? Uh, what do you usually do when you complete a first draft?
0: i I try to send it out when I'm really excited about it when like I hit that last note and I get to like stare at the title page and make it make it look cool. Um, yeah yep. and 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 then I try I try to send it to people that are good at that stage of the process. like fr- fr- from what I've gathered over the years, like, oh, I'll send it to my cousin Jay, if, if it's at this place or I'll, you know, and like, and you realize that like, you're, you're either going to fatigue somebody or burn that relationship. If you keep sort of sending sort of a bunch of different drafts of the same thing to them and you're, and and you're not going to get fresh notes from them. I've, I've only, um, you know, with all gone wrong, I did submit it to, um, you know, nickel fellowships. I think that was kind of what I did. um, for that. I, but you know, I, I haven't done the contest thing and I'm very open to it. Like there's actually a contest coming up for the type of movie I'm writing now. Mm -hmm. And it's giving me a great deadline. It's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this as a mechanism to really push this forward. And so I like that thing. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just not very familiar with it. And, um, and I was actually going to talk to you about that, you know, whether we want to do it on mic or off, but, um, but I do like sending it out to people and like I said if I feel like it's gone through a few drafts and I feel like hey we're we're in sort of the zone where we got to start thinking about let's get this into a shooting draft I like having that table read I like having calling up some actors and 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 having them read it and and just get that feeling you know because um yeah you just really see where the script is not up to snuff like so fast you know it's yeah. like in the edit when you you literally like um, like the, the, this is sort of apocryphal I'm sure but like I fear I've heard of filmmakers literally just grab the first person in the office and just be like all I want you to do is just stand next to me while I watch this scene or while I watch this movie and just literally having another person next to you while you watch it you start to see it brand new yeah. And it's just having another person around or having like an audience, you know, like the test screening type of thing, you really get to see where like, oh man, this is super flat. No one's fucking, you know, people are going to sleep here or whatever. So it's just that, that outside presence, you know, and that's why, like, I always find it a little bougie or a little cocky when I hear about the the auteur thing or the or the final cut thing like oh this was my this was my cut or this was you know I didn't change a word like I I wrote this in 10 days and that's what we shot like I just find that to be so um I don't know unproductive like I just feel like every time I introduce a a movie like the script or the cut or whatever it is to the sunshine um it gets better you know
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's really important to get opinions that are outside of your head and life experience too, you know, especially like, you know, if you are a, writer writing about you know another culture or something like that then it's kind of yeah. like one million percent necessary <laughs> yeah. um which yeah. you know uh, that's a whole other you know uh conversation that could be had but like you know if i'm writing a story about you know again a dentist you know and i if i have the luxury of knowing someone who's in the dental field even as like a hygienist or something yeah. i might ask them some specific what like It's just doing due diligence. I think I also hate hearing like any kind of story where a writer or director just seems way too sure of themselves and only themselves, like their own opinion being the way Uh, I definitely had moments early on in my career, which I don't think I was really a dick, but like. Just being just being really sure of my ideas, and like you know, when someone pushed back, I kind of be like, "Yeah, well, you know, that doesn't work because that's not what the way I wrote it." And blah 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 blah. Now, yeah. having kind of entered a new like a semi professional realm of screenwriting, yeah. uh, and having my work ripped to shreds by people who know better than me, I was just talking about this this morning before our meeting. Um, a lot of times I've had you know a note that really fucking stings and makes me feel like I'm not the best writer on the first try and or the second or third or fourth or fifth try but <laughs> yeah. then also um being nowadays I'm able to step outside and be like man that note is big it changes a lot and it makes the story better it yeah. just makes it better I, there's no way I can deny it you really have to step outside of your own opinions and just be totally objective and be yeah. like does does that improve the story yes or no and if it does you go with it totally
0: yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it, it it is a painful process. It is. It's why, you know, you have to sort of uh, you, you have to sort of treat the story as something very personal while you're making it. But then but then but then you have to sort of treat it as something that is outside of you, like when you're in that process, like just to just for that self-preservation of it all, because you don't because like, I mean, it, it is always a bad look. To push back hard on a note. I mean, like, mm-hmm. and, and and honestly, the notes, unless somebody is like trying to fucking sabotage you, which is like, why are you talking to this person in the first place? Exactly. Like the note is coming from a place where they're responding to something. And it might not be the thing that they reference, but like, it, you know, they might be, they, they may not like aspects of the movies that they can't articulate. And so, you know, um, I just heard a great thing where, you know, uh, again, one of these roundtables. Sarah Polly, the director of women talking, sure. she says she'll try every note. She's like, every note I get, I try it. And because I want to see if it works or not. And I might go into the note thinking it's not going to work, but I'm going to try it, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's a good, that's a good call, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Because you just never know. And plus, like, the writing, especially for film, it's it's not gonna live on its own. I mean it has to sort of live on its own as like something that is um engaging to read, but but it will never be it will never be the finished product. And so you know the more you feel like it is a living thing um that can be improved, I think the better the film ends up being, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love hearing that about Sarah Polly. Like, yeah, you really you have to just, um, be open and be like water. Um, yeah. So it can flow or it
0: can crash. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is a good metaphor for a filmmaking career. Um, so you talked about your day job a little bit. Um, right now though, you just kind of took a step back and you're doing more like project by project thing, kind of probably the way that I'm doing weddings right now. And that's a big reason is I'm so like, you know, Hopefully I don't embarrass myself saying this and everything crashes and burns, but I feel like I'm on the cusp of like hitting that next marker and as getting towards a filmmaking career, of like maybe making my first little bit of money. Um, And that's one of the reasons I don't go get a 40 hour a week gig. I almost did in 2020. And at the last minute, this wedding contract gig came along and I was like, you know what? I should probably do that. I'm going to be broke. I'm going to be scraping yeah, by every month, but I'm going to have a lot more time to focus on the dream.
0: Exactly. I mean, those are the sacrifices you make. And like, you know, I, it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, like my wife just sort of understands like that part of it, you know, like I I had a day job, a staff day job, you know, and I, and, and that was great and I was doing good work and it taught me a lot about the job and how to make things. Mm-hmm. And I, but I wasn't doing much writing and and uh, and I was I was pushing to get all gone wrong made. And so now that I'm the all gone wrong is coming out, I decided to step away from that full-time experience because I do want to transition into that writing stage. But I mean, I like money too, you know, I like, yeah. I like <laughs> uh, I like, you know, not stressing out about it. And so, you know, I'm definitely, always looking for work to make sure that I feel stable and comfortable, because if if you don't, you know, you don't feel like you can give yourself over, you know, to, to the work, to the, to the writing. So, you know, it's, it's that balance. It's like, I want to make sure I stay on top of that hustling for the next gig mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like it enhances the writing,
1: you know? Yeah, total. Yeah. And it's such a fine balance and I can't wait to see literally anyone who gets to the point where they can leave their day job and do the dream. Uh, it's <laughs> such an exciting thing to witness. But um, I was going to ask, so what are some of your hobbies outside of screenwriting? I know that you're a busy guy, but um, outside of screenwriting and filmmaking, like what are some general hobbies and also watching things counts in my book?
0: Oh, sweet. Well, yeah. OK, so I... I am a huge sort of media, like like sort of physical media guy. Like I'm um I'm big into Blu-ray and, and 4K and stuff like yeah, that. And
1: me, you know me really, as well, maybe not as quite as into it, but I do have quite a Blu-ray collection. So
0: Yeah, yeah. I like and, it. And and so, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of show how weird I am a little bit here, but you know, uh-huh. I I had discovered that uh Dollar Generals and Dollar trees and pawn shops are incredible places to get movies. Um, Uh And so I will, if I have a day off where I feel like I'm kind of wide open, there's a stretch of, there's a stretch of St. Louis. It's like the 61 67 corridor where there's like $7 generals within like 10 miles. Uh And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just look at Blu-rays all day. Oh and, my God, uh, dude. That's like a dream to like, me. Yeah. They're all like five bucks, um, five yeah. bucks or less. Sometimes yeah. you'll find a gold mine. Um, and so that's, that's one of my obsessions is, is collecting. I'm a criterion collector. I love arrow mm-hmm. video. Um, mm-hmm you know, I, I I love that stuff. And if it's a movie I love, I'll buy it. I'll buy it every time it comes out in a new format Uh and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I was just rearranging
1: mine the other day and realized I have like five (laughs) different versions of alien and aliens. I have so many versions of those movies. I was like, why do I have all these? But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun.
0: Okay. So let me ask you this. Are you, how do you order them? What is how do you display them by genre by genre and then genre, genre, what do you do
1: alphabetical alphabetical by genre but like yeah because I I just actually like funny enough two weeks ago I reorganized all my blu-rays and dvds and I was going to do all alphabetical and I started lining them up that way and I was like this doesn't make sense because when I want to watch a movie a lot of times I want to browse the shelf and yeah. I don't want to go through every vibe and mood. It's like, I'm in the mood <laughs> to watch a grounded sci-fi movie. I don't want to have to think of the specific ones I have or fish through every single title. I have like a little shelf now with all my sci-fi movies that I can just... And I, funny in detail, I noticed that sci-fi movies love using uh, like a blue, white, and black color scheme on their yeah. packaging. So yeah. like basically every single one that I have, like I guess excluding Alien, which was more green, White and yeah, white,
0: but, that's funny uh, because you always see yeah. those great posts about like how like a Hollywood movie poster of a certain genre repeats a lot of the graphic design tropes or colors or whatever. Teal orange, they, just, they that cluster. Kid. Yeah, yeah. So I can totally yeah. see that. That's yeah. really interesting. I yeah. I try to go by director last name. Um,
1: Ooh, oh, that's nerdier than me. But that is I
0: respect. And it. then it's like chronological within that. Um, yeah, and yeah. so that can be really tough. That can be tough. But, and, yeah. but, but right now it's like all the boutique Blu-rays, like criterions, arrows, all that stuff is on their own. Mm-hmm. Cause it just looks, it looks nicer on its own. But yeah. then uh, the, just the the general population Blu-rays and DVDs are all by director. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's one of my obsessions. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I am, becoming more and more obsessed with how to streamline time and process and so i i my nerd alert is like i listen to like kind of like businessy self-help efficiency kind of audiobooks which oh, yeah. i find to be very therapeutic mm-hmm. um and you know i love that like honing the to-do list kind of thing i find i've come up with a sort of a system that is like now really sort of serving me well, and I don't, not a lot slips through the cracks and I get a lot done. And, um, and so I love, I, have kind of gotten more and more intense about that because it also helps me in my day job with like producing a a corporate project and, and just being on top of everything and just knowing like what's going on. So, um, it kind of helps me in that way, but, um, Yeah yeah yeah
1: that's awesome I've actually been meaning to get back into self-help stuff I uh I got into general self-help kind of just like you know the the earliest self-help I did like in my like later 20s when I was like starting to really figure out who I am for the first time like you think you know who you are in your 20s and then you're like I don't know uh but (laughs) yeah yeah, just kind of like having a lot of realizations about myself but I I really enjoy self-help like some people kind of uh feel some kind of way about self-help stuff but i i really like it i think it's awesome and they're like books that even if i've read them it's good to crack it open every now and again just to be like a refresher you know
0: yeah and if it like if it's a self-help thing that like dips into like social sciences in some way like psychology or even better it's like if, if you can tell me why a bad habit is a bad habit if you can tell me why this thing works like um I'm a captain of audience, you know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're always trying to figure out why we are the way we are. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's like, a that's a, but also that's like, for me, that's like one of the reasons I think I'm so drawn to writing and filmmaking and storytelling is I'm absolutely fascinated by why we are the way we are. Like, yeah, there's, there's some people you meet in the world and myself included other people have probably thought this about me, but you're like, They have certain, you know, quirks to their personality, or sometimes like, you know, very, um, uh, specific, you know, uh, I don't want to call it a disability, but you know what I mean, like, like like something going on with them that you think, like, what is their story? You know, like, where along the path did that happen, and was what element of nature and nurture was that, and like, you know, yeah, yeah. because Lord knows I have my bullshit. Uh, and I know exact. Well, I don't all know all of it, but I know where a lot of it stems from. You know what I mean? Different <laughs> yeah. events, different people that were in my life. Blah blah blah. And I just find that stuff fascinating. So I think that's yeah. why. And I think that a lot of writers probably connect over that. You know the and actors yeah. and you know filmmakers like we're all again people who are kind of in it for the right reasons and people who are probably yeah. going to find success. Uh, I think are in it for that. You know the the ongoing mystery of the human condition you know
0: yeah there's man like bad, you know bad habits or like you know counterintuitive you know you know self-sabotage all that kind of stuff is just like great fodder so it's like knowing knowing that shit about yourself Mm -hmm. can help feed feed that that engine you know in in storytelling
1: yeah I, i love a protagonist who can't stop getting in their own way Yeah, I love it. It's the best. So, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, But uh, what's a recent accomplishment that you're proud of? Could be screenwriting related, but it doesn't have to be. What's something you did recently that you felt good about?
0: Man, let me think about that. Um, Well, so. This past this past summer, I coached. I coach my son's baseball team and mm-hmm. um like so like within our family this is sort of a famous story like I for whatever reason like the toughest audience I've ever spoken to is little kids it fucking terr- terrifies me like mm-hmm. it's why like I I gives me so much anxiety like when if we have if if we were to have like a birthday party over at our house or something like little kids they're the toughest audience and like I feel so unable to like put on airs with kids, you know, like mm-hmm. I I feel like they see right through me. Mm-hmm. And so it took a lot of like personal courage for me to like coach his team. And uh and it ended up just being like an amazing experience. Like 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 the story I was referencing is like I went and spoke at his preschool class one time and it was like a disaster. And like I felt and I was supposed to speak for like 20 or 30 minutes and like have an activity and like I spent like eight minutes and I like I was like waving to the teacher like just get him out to recess like I can't do this anymore Uh and yeah it was crazy and um and so coaching his team was like a way for me to like kind of just have fun engage with him and 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 you know help him you know play some ball but um you know just being able to like sort of see the kids get better, you know, and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff like yeah. that. Just coaching that team was like really cool for me. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, that's, that's awesome. I bet that is so rewarding. Um, just seeing, you know, a kid who maybe doesn't believe that they can do something, do it, you know, or get yeah. close to doing it, whatever, any progress is progress. I think that'd be really awesome to yeah. be there, help helping build up
0: that, that. Confidence. Yeah. It's like, it's like super humbling when like, a kid has never played before and like can and like has just picked up a baseball and like yeah. and like they can't throw or something and then by the end of the season you like see them like hitting like a ringing line drive and you're like let's go yeah 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 yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah and i hear yeah. you about being scared of kids like one of the bravest things i've ever done in my entire life i think it was like 2018 or 19 i went and did improv uh, with like three other people in front of three classes of like, I guess they were like fourth graders, maybe fifth graders, yeah. maybe, maybe a little younger. Um, uh, oh but yeah, they were all in a gymnasium. It was three big classes, probably like, I don't know, 60 kids or something. And uh, we were just winging it, doing whatever. And you're right, they're a tough audience. And oh, I dude. found myself so desperate for their love and attention and yeah. laughs and like, it's really pathetic, but yeah. um, it, it ended up going okay. And it's actually to this day, the only time I've ever made money from comedy, I made $50 that day.
0: <laughs> so that was pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. I, find, I find it getting easier as I get older to just like tell somebody to fuck off if I don't want to do something or if I, if I feel like that, they're like a dick, I don't mind like standing up to them. But like, if it's a kid, I want their approval so bad. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what that is, but yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I guess that was a, that was a personal accomplishment was, was coaching his team.
1: Absolutely. Dude, that's a huge accomplishment. Like you said, going in with your own baggage, you know, feeling a certain <laughs> yeah. way. And not only are these kids, maybe overcoming anxiety about not knowing if they can play baseball, but you overcame something to a personal goal, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, So what are a few words of advice that you would give to fellow screenwriters or filmmakers, honestly, uh, out there, especially those just getting started?
0: Yeah. Like, I think I, you know, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but like, you know, I, I was, like out of school, I was the guy, I was the type of person that was like, I'm DBing my favorite directors and checking the date when they made their first movie, you know? And I was making lists of like, Oh, so-and-so made their debut at 25 and all this kind of stuff. And you just start to like, you think it has to happen really fast. Or you think you're like, I gotta, I gotta get, um, if I, if if I'm going to ever become like one of these people, I've got to get going. I've got to like, have this, like, you know, uh, like early success. And you, and when it doesn't happen, it starts to, it starts to really weigh on you and it weighed on me really bad. And, 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 and frankly, it's one of the reasons why all gone wrong probably took so long. It's just like psychologically, there's just, it's just so hard to get back to the back up to the plate when you feel like you're just kind of not, where you should be in life or whatever that, whatever that means for you. Mm -hmm. And it's not until you start to realize that like, if, if you are making progress, the timeline might not be the sexiest, but you'll get there, you know? And, and, and frankly, it might be the way it has to go for that particular thing you're working on to be the best it can be. Um, And so for me, like, you know, I, I mentioned the timeline a little bit ago, but like, You know, I started writing the movie in 2008 and now it's 2023 and the movie's coming out. And, you know, I I got a great piece of advice or, you know, my my wife went back and got her doctorate and her mom said something really smart. You know, she said, you can be, you know, who you are now without your doctorate or you can be, you know, this this sort of like person who's later in their career with their doctorate. You know, yep. and you know, so like for me, it's like I'd rather be a thirty-eight year old with a with a feature film about to come out than than not. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 if if you can hang in there, good things happen. You know, if you yeah. just show up yeah. every day, good things happen. You know, you're not gonna win every day, you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed every day, but um but if you, if you hang in there and you show up, good things happen. I mean, there's nothing greater than hearing those kinds of stories about somebody who like, it was their millionth rejection. And then somebody saw what they were doing and, and, and it, and, you know, that hard work came to light, you know? And I, you know, those stories are always my favorite, I think because I see some of my own story and stuff like that. Like I just, I just wanted to be that version of the success story than not, you know, like yeah, it happened later than I wanted, but it happened,
1: you know? Yeah, man. And and, you know, the cliche is a cliche for a reason, the whole, (laughs) it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's because it's so true. And everyone who has lived a little understands that, that like, um, and and another thing, too, and I don't you I would assume that you probably feel this way because 38 is young, but you yeah. feel in your brain, you feel like, oh, my God, I'm getting so much older and blah, blah, blah. But now you have the feature film there and 38's fucking young yeah you're, you're in yeah, the prime exactly. of your life you know like the prime like people say your 20s are your prime i think it's bullshit in my mid 30s yeah. now i'm like my 30s fucking rule i'm so much smarter than i was in my 20s like yeah. um, it, things are starting to click i'm starting to understand what life is about and uh things like that and i know i have a lot to learn and i know that's an ever-evolving process but uh just saying like you know my 20s to my 30s i'm enjoying my 30s a lot more <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. And like, and like I was saying is like, when it ended up happening, you know, I was able to bring that maturity of having worked in the industry and directed a little bit and just having that confidence on set. You know, if it happened earlier for me, I wouldn't have had that. And, and, and the script would have been in a weaker place because it would have been probably way more cliche written that, you know, and just a little less lived in and, Mm-hmm. You know, so for this movie, I'm glad, and and you're totally right. Like I feel, I feel ready to go into something new, and you know, I I just see uh, the possibilities now because, hey, I have this experience, and, and and you know, when you make a movie, you start to get really good at the thing. Like you, sh- you're like very rarely do you get to direct something every day for an extended period of time, and you mm-hmm. start to really hone it. Like I stopped looking at my shot list. last couple weeks of production because i could just walk into a location know what scene we're shooting and i could just go and i could just Mm -hmm. communicate Mm -hmm. and you just start to get really good and but then it stops because you're done with production and and you know you're not going to shoot very long because it's an independent film so so like now the hunger is get this thing written well and then get back on set and 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 get back to that feeling of we're, we're all working together. We're all at the top of our game and just having that, like just that rush. I mean, it's a, it's a fucking rush making mm-hmm. a movie. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And I, I, I will always love the advice of just like, stick it out. The odds are you still have a lot of time left to be creative. I remember I started college late at twenty. I was about to turn 27. And I oh. remember having that thought, Oh my God, I'm going to be 31 When I get out, all these kids are going to be 22 with their bachelors, 31. And only now, you know, three years out from that, do I realize like one, how young 31 is Uh, like you literally have your entire life in front of you. Um, But then uh, also like this was how it was supposed to happen for me. And uh I think that even the things that i produced in film school the work that i the stories i made and the work that i produced uh was at a higher quality because i just i had more life experience and that's so much of writing like i know you know i've had some writers who were in their 40s 50s maybe older on this show and just also just been friends with some and there's been newer writers who have reached out to me on twitter and like dms and be like you know um this age or whatever and they like basically have expressed that they feel too old and for me to me i think you can start writing at literally any age and the older yeah. you are given that you sort of have a knack for it you're kind of good at it that well of life experience is your superpower at that point you know yeah so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love it man you just got to stay in the game the ones who stay in the game and don't quit and don't go yeah. home i really truly believe that eventually it'll happen
0: yeah yeah because i mean man it takes a lot of stamina and so yeah. the, the the only thing where where youth helps is is you have more stamina but
1: yeah you know yeah.
0: as long as you keep showing up like you know that that'll come but yeah it just takes a lot of stamina <laughs> to write and to make movies you know it does
1: yeah. for sure yeah. All right. Well, um, the movie is all gone wrong. It stars Tony Todd and Jake Kaufman written and directed by Josh Guffey. I almost forgot your name for a second. I've been talking <laughs> with friends, uh, <laughs> written and directed by Josh Guffey. Um, it is being released January 27th on Apple TV plus iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, Google play and cable on demand. Essentially anywhere that you can rent a movie online. You can probably rent All Gone Wrong there. Uh, I mean, Amazon has it. That's, you know, not not to talk up Bezos much, but like most people have Amazon. So right. you can find it. Uh, I highly suggest watching this, guys, especially to the indie filmmakers. Or the screenwriters with a dream of writing something that is within their ability to just go make. He shot this thing on Sony DSLRs. It looks so cinematic. It looks like it's punching so much above its weight class budget wise and resource wise. And that to me is the most special of independent films. The ones where you're just blown away at what they managed to get out of what they had available to them. Uh, and that's fucking rad. Uh, you're an inspiration to me, man, uh, and just a great new friend. And I hope that we continue talking about films and everything moving forward. But thank you so much for coming on the show, man.
0: Dude, thank you. It's been a it's been a pleasure. And I I selfishly need to learn a lot more about writing my next projects from you with all of the success you've had. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. This was a great chat. I love talking about craft and. Yeah, go see All Gone Wrong, January 27th. Um, yeah, and hit me up. I'm on social, so tell me if you hated it. I'd <laughs> yeah, like to hear what, that too. What's your
1: handle, at Josh Guffey?
0: So uh, my website is JoshGuffey, Okay, And my Instagram handle is Guffy. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, hit me up.
1: All right, yeah, for sure. You know where to reach him too. Uh, thanks again, man.
0: All right, thank you
1: all right y'all episode 25 is in the books i want to thank josh guffey for coming on the show really appreciate all the insight um he's a great dude he's super cool super nice guy and really making waves uh in the indie film world and i wish him all the best with all gone wrong again this is josh's feature film you can watch it on streaming today, January 27th is the wide release so I really suggest that you guys rent this movie it's awesome, it was made with love and it stars Tony fucking Todd so that's really cool um, guys if you have anything you want to say about the episode um, you can do that on Twitter if you want to tweet and tag me social you can also make an Instagram post if you want to, people don't really do that but if you wanted to you know, tag me up, I'd love to see it um say something cool josh said say something dumb i said whatever you want to do um i just want to talk to you guys and hear how you're liking the pod um again too i will just throw out there ethan and edna is on youtube and vimeo short film i wrote and directed well in summer of 2021 uh and you can watch it now and if you do you know say something about that too and you can tag me at andy compton underscore i'd oh i'd love to hear your feedback about that too um and that's about it guys um you know if you are going through a tough time right now i just want to remind you that you have the strength to get through it and you know it's going to be okay no i'm not going to be super motivational at the end of this one um listen we all got work to do chasing this dream let's get after it all right let's 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 get out there do some good work tell stories that mean something. And I will talk to you guys next time. Okay. Uh, bye bye The Social Screen
0: Podcast. The Social.